Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to Think Orphan Podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Brandon and I absolutely love doing what we get to do. Today is a special day for me. I have another one of the co-authors from In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence on the show with us today, Brent Phillips. And Brandon's going to tell us a little bit about what he's doing uh, now. Um, it's a few years since the book, so uh, he's he's uh, it's a little different than what what he was what, what he was doing. It's a lot a lot of the same, a little little different too. But uh, I'm you know it's always funny to me how long it takes us to get some of these people on the show. Usually because they're so humble and they're like, oh, I don't have that much to share. And I think this is another example of that. But uh, but they absolutely do, and they're incredible folks doing incredible things. So Brandon, um, what's going on with you, man? Yeah, not not a whole lot going on with me. Uh, I uh, find myself quite busy these days, as one might imagine. I'm a basketball coach suddenly again nice. uh, for my. I, I know you're big into coaching. I've coached yeah. soccer. I've coached basketball. So uh, my my daughter, she has aspirations of being a WNBA player one okay. time. So we're just fanning that flame while nice. she's in third grade. So okay. uh, yeah, that's fun and exciting. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this interview as well. I mean, Brent is is a friend and. And uh, somebody in this uh, in in the OVC space that that I look up to a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he's um, just really uh, established, along with his team of you know Ugandans there in Entebbe, just a really fantastic service services that are provided in the community that really you know strengthen families, and they have just such a remarkable story um, and and really kind of a, a great case study. So and and Brent's just a fun guy. Uh, we were we were joking around and having. I was having tech issues beforehand, but uh, I'm glad it happens with a guy that's that's a, that's as kind and jovial and and yeah. and just a just a great guy to have around. So uh, yeah, it's going to be great to have Brent. And you know, Phil, I, I got to say, like uh, as he was coming on, I, I had to flip back into the book to be like, you know, what did Brent sound like? Uh, you know, before. So yeah, so I mean, back I mean, in thirteen or something, you know, and dude. I'm going to have to get you on how soccer explains leadership with all your vast coaching experience and, uh, you know, and your, your, uh, pep talks with your, with your daughter, man, you're like, you're, you're a Renaissance man. You're a true Renaissance man. I'm, I'm oh. learning more and more about you. I mean, you got the beard. You, it's kind of like the Plato beard. Like what we see all the Homer and all those guys, they have that beard like you have. So I just got to soak kind. it in. I you're too kind. In. I'm not, Greek, right. I'm not Greek though. I'm not Greek though. It's yeah, a, know, it's the but, Swedish blood. It's the okay. Swedish German uh, the blood. Vi- but, yeah, the Viking. Yeah. I'm a Viking. Yeah, Scandinavian. Yeah, you know, you kind of look like a Viking actually. Now that you <laughs> put that hat on, we could. We That's could what I was for Halloween, that. man. Oh, Halloween gosh. last year I was a Viking. We're gonna put some pictures in the show notes. So oh. um, you gotta, we gotta do. All that. right, um, we'll okay, do it. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get to this, but uh, yeah, I I you know again, don't really pump in pursuit of orphan excellence, but Brent. Um, you know, we, we might, we, maybe we sh- should more because there's folks like Brent in it. Uh, that's why I always have been able to pump it because there's 14 other people on it who are just amazing, incredible people. I've had a few of them on the show. Um, and, uh, Brent is, he's just got so much experience, uh, very humble dude. He's a pastor as well. So, um, let's get right to it with him, man. Yeah. Let's bring him in. Well, uh, Brent Phillips joining us uh, from Texas, but running Cherish Uganda. Uh, welcome to the show, man. It, it, it almost seems overdue considering uh, your connection with me and Phil. So welcome in, man. Yeah, thanks. It's an honor to be with you guys. You know, uh, Brent, uh, Phil and I have just been uh, admirers of the good work that, that you and your team are, are doing there in Uganda. And, and, but, but there may be other listeners to the show that, that haven't yet heard about the good work that you guys are doing. So could you just uh, kind of start off, uh, you know, just kind of sharing, you know, how did you come to working with orphans and vulnerable children? And, and you know, what, what even led you to, to living in Uganda for so long and, and, and running a nonprofit mission there? Yeah, it definitely was not a like lifelong dream to be a missionary in Africa. You know, that was not our goal at all. Um, I started out in church work um, as a young, young kid right out of college. As a children's pastor for years, and then ended up planning a church, and so we literally were pastors for 25 years, and then all of a sudden, 
we send a family to Uganda from our church and they'd probably there about six months. And we start getting the, the calls that this is really hard. And so we felt like, you know what, why don't we send a few people out there just to encourage you guys to kind of walk your life for, you know, 10 days and just kind of see how we can come alongside of you. So my wife and two other gals from our church headed off to Uganda and my wife came back and she could not stop talking about this little place that they had just kind of randomly bumped into. They'd heard about this little children's home in Entebbe that had a bunch of kids with HIV. And so they just basically called them and said, Hey, can we get a tour? And the founder, uh, she uh, was, it was her birthday. She said, well, I got about 45 minutes if you want to swing by. So my wife and those two gals swung by, got a 45 minute tour. And that was it. My wife came home. We felt like as a church, we should press into this. <clears throat> Let's see what this, <clears throat> excuse me, this partnership looks like. And so we started pressing in and then one thing led to another. And we were like, oh, I think we're supposed to be there. And so that's how it happened. She, that was in January of 2010. And by November of 2010, we had transitioned leadership of our church, sold the house, sold everything we had, got on a plane with two suitcases each and uh, four kids at the time. And off we went and haven't looked back. That's amazing, man. You and I actually, I, I'm just finding this out and I've, I've known you for, for a couple of years now. We moved to East Africa in the same year, 2010. That that was my that was my launching launching off. So uh, that, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I, I I just love your guys' story and and just even that that sudden nature of, of you know jumping in, you know, feeling that call from God and and jumping in full on. So that's awesome. Yeah, there's a yeah. you know fine line between faith and stupidity, and I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> what side of that I land on. But no, I, I I straddle that line myself. We all have to a little bit, you know, it's that, it's that I just, I actually talked about this on another podcast today, about the talk about the tension between delusion and perseverance for your dreams, right? Like you, you have to toe that line if you're going to do some of these crazy things, especially in the kingdom, whereas it is this upside down kingdom. And when I, I and I talked about it there, I left the law firm to go into this work with orphan and vulnerable children like you, Brennan, we've talked about this before where this wasn't the, the lifetime plan where I was going to go work with orphan and vulnerable kids somewhere, you know, and that's why I went to law school. So I could do, the, you know, it was never that right. And my mom said, why'd you waste your law degree? And people were saying, when are you going to get a real job? And I mean, you know, all these things that you, you say, okay, well, it's a call and there is that, you know, and, and how do you discern that? That's a, that's a conversation we, you know, that I think the three of us could probably have for hours and hours and hours, but for sure. that's not what we're talking about here today. But, uh, but yeah, I actually got to, got to hang out with you for a day over in Entebbe back in 13 when I was, when I was, uh, researching for in, in pursuit of orphan excellence on the way to the airport. And you're a great host for me that day. I was able to see the work at Cherish and we talked a lot about these different things. And that was what, man, I can't believe that was almost nine years ago. But, uh, but uh, let, let's talk about that, really, the work at Cherish and, and you know, it, it used to operate as a children's home. I think it was when I was when I was there and was able to see some of those different things. But what, what led you to transition your model of care and what, what does that transition look like? And and really uh, and uh, how 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 has it affected and, and, and uh, really helped, in your opinion, uh, the work that you're doing there? We started out as a as a children's home, as an orphanage. And, um, at the time that just seemed like the best answer, you know, mm -hmm. you got whatever information you got and there's kids that are seemingly abandoned and nowhere to go and being dropped off at hospitals and police stations. And then they got, find out they have HIV and nobody will take them. It just seemed like this is what we should do. Now I wasn't around when Cherish first started. So that initial leadership team, um, you know, just jumped in. Um, and thankfully they did. There's a lot of, a lot of good that happened as they jumped in and um, created this safe place for these kids. And so as we started bringing these kids in and you start to develop these programs and, you know, you get them healthy, um, you know, just these, these frail bodies, get them, get, get some food and nutrition and medication and start getting them healthy. And 
get them in a little family setting where they start to build some relationships and, and start pouring into them spiritually. And you start to see this growth. It's amazing. Really, really amazing. Well, then as you start doing that year after year and you start off with these young kids, then you start thinking, what's going to happen when they get older? And we had a few of those older kids that that started happening. And it's like, well, I guess, you know, we put you through school. Maybe we'll help you start to get a job and, you know, we'll give you some money. You can start a, a hair salon here. And we start doing that and we are not finding success. And, you know, we think, how can we not? We've, we've educated them. We've modeled some really good behaviors with them. We've discipled them. We've, we've given you seed money to go start these businesses and, and it just wasn't happening. And it just started, almost just kind of hit us like a truck. Our leadership team, just like, how can we expect this to happen without family? Like, look at all of us. The reason we're where we are is because family walked with us. It wasn't like we got 18 and family stopped and we were kind of on our own. And so thankfully in the early years, um, we did start looking for family. And social workers started to do this family tracing. And once we started to find family and started bringing them for these parent visit days, we started watching, you know, the magic happen when flesh and blood walks onto the site to meet you. And we started watching what was happening to the kids where no family was showing up. Mm. You're thinking, wait a minute, they're just coming here for the day. What is the, it, it can't be this devastating that, you don't have a family member to show up, but then we started realizing it is this devastating. It really, really is. And so then we just started this transition to figure out, all right, we need to get families together. As great as three square meals a day, safe place, playgrounds, all this great stuff that we were providing. What we were finding out is a lot of the kids we were serving would rather be with family. And so we were doing these where we would, the kids would go to for a weekend away with their family and then come back, you know, kind of these trial things. And what was so remarkable is these kids were going into, you know, eight people living in one room dirt floor house in the middle of some village somewhere and loving it. And one, when do I get to go back? When's the next time I get to go? And so all these puzzle pieces starting to fit together. And so we ended up, over a course of a couple of years, transitioning um, all of these kids that were under our care into kinship care, uh, some family member, a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, somebody. And we did have four that we couldn't find any anywhere for, couldn't find any family. Adoption is a difficult thing with kids with HIV in Eastern Africa. Um, so we decided to start, just start a foster system where we can get these kids into a family let's remove them from the institution and put them into a family. And we had the idea, let's start with our staff first. So we just threw the idea out. Hey, this is what we're doing. If any of you are interested. And we had so many staff members come forward because they already understand these kids. They already understand what's needed. Like it was amazing. And so those four kids went into four separate foster families that were staff members of ours. And then over the course of time, we have since found family for those kids. So we don't have anybody. We have one, sorry. We have one in foster care currently, just one. Um, and it's been great. So we still walk with those families. What really happened was we were ministering to families and then all of a sudden it just opened it up. And now we're ministering to, or sorry, we're ministering to, to the child and now it just yeah. opened up. And now we're ministering to the families because people have this like, we can't shut your children's, your children's home down. Like, who are you going to serve? Like, but your ministry is going to go away. Like, nope, it actually gets a lot larger because <laughs> yeah. now we're walking with families right. and now the whole family's being impacted and the other kids in the family. And it, it's, it's been remarkable, really. It's really been great. Absolutely. And there's a couple of things I want to <clears throat> kind of mine there. And the first is I remember when we were walking around there and you, you alluded to this, but when we were walking around and talking about it and saying that, you know, with the stigma of AIDS, the families don't want to have them in the home. And so I assume that's part of the education. That's part of the conversations. But what did that look like in that transition? And how did you 
how were you able to come back into those families who had originally said no to be able to help them understand? And what did that, uh, what did that process look like with the families? Yeah, it's a lot of conversations. Um, some families get it quickly. Others, it takes more time, but it's just helping educate people that HIV is probably not what you think it is. Let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about this. There's the, for, for many, it's the, the stigma. I don't even know my kid, my child has HIV. And so we walk through how to manage that. You know, that your child doesn't have to come into your home with a big t-shirt on that says I have HIV. Like mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be a public thing. This is, can be a right. private thing and how to do that. Um, and then a lot of people were scared. Like, I don't know how to care for an HIV kid. And so they wish they could, but they didn't think they knew how. And then once you just start walking that, like, this is what it looks like. Really, it's it's amazing to watch the light bulbs go, oh, oh, okay, okay. Absolutely. A lot of us just having the right conversations. Yeah, and and that's something that even here in the U.S., I know uh, Jody Howerton up in your neck of the woods there, Brandon, uh, started Redefine. Um, and in the U.S., we we struggle with that. And you know, she works with education on on AIDS and HIV, and, and how you know we can live with with it, and we can live with people with it. And it's it's something that's very manageable. It's very um, you know safe to live with people with it. And and to, to again, it is it's educating people because there was such a massive scare obviously for decades. Now the, the new, the generations now probably don't even think about it because it's, it's not even talked about really anymore, at least here in the U S but what does that look like in, um, in, uh, East Africa? I mean, what, what is the AIDS HIV AIDS situation? I think for some of us here in the U S we don't, we don't talk about it really any, I mean, unless you look for it, you don't really hear about it here in the U S or unless you're immediately impacted by it. But what is it looking like right now in, in East Africa? You know, it's, it's still there. I would say the, that uh, the HIV prevalency rate is dropping slowly. Uh, places like Uganda, you know, years ago, just full on billboards, massive marketing campaigns, and it started dropping quickly. And then once it started dropping, it kind of took their foot off the gas. And then all of a sudden it's kind of started rising back up again. But I currently, it's like 6.7%, I think, um, you know, which is, I think, well, that's not very much, but, you know, if you walked into your people. kid's school of, you know, a thousand kids, you're like, oh, wow. So you're telling me this got 60 kids in here. So it's just a, right. it's an interesting, when you start looking at it in your context, but, um, you know, and the medications are getting so good, you know, places like Uganda, you know, we kind of get the the tail end of the technology, the, the best medications are here in America, mm-hmm. but they, it rolls downhill and we end up with those medications eventually. And a lot of the kids we work with, their viral loads are down to zero. Like it's yeah. almost, it's almost nothing, you know, once they're on those meds and good nutrition and clean water and just a safe, loving place. It's amazing what happens. Absolutely. And, what, and on that note, like with that, what is the, uh, is that stigma still there or yeah. is it? Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's yeah. still an issue. I mean, we've, we had a kid a couple of years ago in our very village. <clears throat> we find out about this girl that the grandmother has basically put her in the back room to die mm. because she has HIV. So we hear about this. We go over there and we knock on the door. Not we is my wife and a visiting doctor of ours actually. And this grandma's like, yeah, it's true. She's right back there. And no, and we're like, my wife's begging her. Can we take her to our school? Can we work with you? I mean, she's right there in the village. She's a 10 minute walk from us. And the grandmother refused. I'm not going to have any granddaughter of mine with HIV out in public. Mm. And she's going to stay here. So we got the police involved and the police looked at us like, it's not your grandkid. It's her grandkid. And that little girl died in the back room of her house because stigma. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's oh. unfortunately still an issue. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. I mean, oh man, that, that's just heartbreaking. And you know that actually, I mean, it, it, in a different way, it, it does remind me of the chapter that you wrote for in pursuit, just that, that the, the tragedy does it, 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 what do we do with that? Right. But the, going back to the, the transition, the, 
uh, the donor side of things. You know, a lot of people, uh, we've talked about this on the show too with transitions and I, and I know there's not one story and there's not one silver bullet that we say, this is what you do, but how was that conversation, that side of it? I mean, there's obviously the education side in Uganda, in the village that, that to, to not have those tragedies happen again, right? How do we educate that side, which is, which is huge. And you're doing that, but there's also the, we got to fund this work at some level whether it's in Uganda or outside, whether it's with government, you know, funds for some people or with donors here in the U S and churches. And we know that, you know, the, the development and the family strengthening stuff is not, doesn't, it doesn't make a slideshow as well sometimes as the, as the homes and the, Hey, here's what we're doing. And the metrics are a lot easier when you have 80 kids and you're feeding and you're doing this and here's the cost per kid and here's this and that. So, how, how are those conversations and, and what does that look like over the last, uh, you know, few years of transition? I mean, it, the conversation is the key. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of conversations. And I, I think we sometimes don't give our donors enough credit that mm-hmm. they're smart people. And you sit down with them and you say, okay, this investment you're making, here's the strategy we've been doing. And here's the fruit we're getting from the strategy. Mm-hmm. So just like in your business, Sometimes the strategy changes. And so we're thinking of changing the strategy to this and here's why. And we didn't lose a single person as we walked through those conversations, not one. Now we, like we still have some videos on our website. There's like three different videos. I think you can click on it. We used to communicate and we, we talked through it when social media, like we, you know, you blitz as many different ways as you can just to get the conversation started. But with our, with our long-term donors are the ones that are, you know, kind of your top 30 donors. These people that are given significant amount of money. As we sit down and have those conversations, there wasn't a single person who thought this is a bad idea. They, every single one of them, like, I understand this. I get this. This makes sense. And actually many of the times the conversation would be like, thank you for being willing to change your strategy to be that much more effective and not, um, just sitting and doing it the same old way because you don't want to disrupt your funding or you don't want to disrupt the way the the way that's comfortable. Yeah, and I think that is so encouraging because I've heard so many people that are nervous to transition or to change because they're worried of that reaction. And I I, I know we've talked a little bit about it before, but to hear that even that reminder that and and I love what you said it, it it is the conversation because and we don't give our donors we don't give people enough credit, but we also often don't take the time to have that conversation and we don't build the relationships with our people. Then I know you've built relationships with your donors and and they're not even done. They usually become friends, right? And that that relationship when you have that relationship, you earn that conversation to be able to come in and sit at their dinner table and to be able to say, Hey, here's what we're doing. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then don't be a part of it. But, but hopefully you see it and you're, you're, you're passionate about this work and this is the, the turn the work is taking. So yeah, kudos to you and keep, keep at it, brother. Well, and I'm just even reminded of a conversation we had last season with Ashley, who um, like Brent is a member of the community of practice that 1 million home works alongside where she said the exact same thing right? Uh, we didn't lose any supporters. I've heard that so many times. It really, it really is a misnomer. And I think especially when you have somebody that is, um, you know, skilled in communicating with donors, um, you know, just kind of saying, hey, this is, this is what we've been doing and, and this is what we're going to do now. And, you know, like you said, Brent, it allowed you to reach into other areas, right? Other, other um, portions of the community there in Uganda um, to, to minister to them. And, and, you know, when you guys did do that transition, I would love to even just hear a little bit about, you know, what then, you know, because obviously when we talk about, you know, there's no more kids in the residential facility. Um, the kids are now back, uh, in family, most of them back with family of origin, kinship care, one that's in foster care, but they all went back to family. Um, but you guys are still operating. And in fact, you guys have a, have a really, um, remarkable, professional uh, team there of uh, led by Ugandans that are doing phenomenal work. So 
after you guys transitioned, I mean, what did you guys do with your community services? And, and even how did HIV AIDS uh, services kind of uh, uh, expand as a result? What did, that, what did that look like for you guys post-transition? Yeah, because uh, that's a whole other group of people that you have to convince that this is the right direction to go. You have all these staff members that have been chugging along with this path for years and now to lay out to them that, hey, we're going to do something different and here's why we're going to do it and have them along in that process and journey. That, that was probably more difficult. Those are more difficult conversations than conversations with donors. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so for us, we, um, we've always had a school on site. And so that school has continued. And so we ended up transitioning some of our staff members into school positions. And, and even that caused us, you know, once you take a look at one area of your ministry and you're willing to just dump the whole thing out and start again, it, it gives you some courage to do that elsewhere as well. Um, I, I heard it said that everything good is busted with a hammer and rebuilt, you know, it's just, just, you're just constantly retooling and so we ended up doing that with our school as well because we were looking at our kids going through the traditional curriculum traditional education and getting at the end and not being able to get the kind of jobs that we want for our own kids so you're looking at our staff going do you want your kids to have the kind of jobs that are no well we should really look at this as well and we've ended up transitioning our school and we're skills based now um our younger kids it's really a lot of neurodevelopments, um, processing, um, even like fine motor skills, like really looking at what is the need. And there's plenty of schools out there that'll do Ugandan traditional curriculum. Not saying that's bad, but that's already be, that's already everywhere. So why don't we do something that's different? So if people want something different, we have that. So that's what we're doing with our younger ones and our old one, older kids were, we're teaching them how to code. We got a computer lab full of computers and, those kids are learning from the very basics. You know, the first lesson is here's a mouse. And when you move the mouse, the arrow moves on the screen, you know, and it's a very basic all the way to coding. Yeah. Um, and so really equipping those kids to, to have the kind of jobs that'll pull them out of poverty. Um, Cause that's obviously a massive factor um, for a lot of the kids that we serve. So yeah. our school, our school kept chugging along and revamped and we have a hospital as well. I have a clinic. Um, so the same thing, looking at that going, what, what are we missing? You know? And so that still goes along. And then we have this whole thing where we used to work with kids on site, but now we're working with families offsite. That's going to change how we do social work. That's going to change. I mean, you're going to, we had to buy a couple more motorcycles to be able to get people into the village and, you know, figuring out how do we, take the things that we used to do here and do them outside and with no power and in smaller groups with neighbors, as opposed to fill a room full of kids and try to do X, Y, Z with them. And so we find we do a lot of the same things. You just do it in a different location. Yeah. And, and really what I hear is, is, is a lot of expansion as well. I mean, you guys were, you know, providing medical care within the residential facility. Uh, you were ministering to kids in that way, but, but since that time, man, you've expanded into education and family-based social work and having a clinic and a hospital. I mean, it's really a, an attribution to, to just your guys' mission to really just be a blessing and, and to serve um, the communities around Entebbe. I, I think it's amazing. And, you know, going back to what, what Phil was talking about with, you know, some of that donor engagement, um, it is one of the things that we're looking at in this season uh, when we talk about, because look, we, we, we need, you know, funds for, for operating, you know, different services, whether we're in Uganda or whether we're in India, like we talked about with Caroline Boudreau, um, you know, for, for one of those ways, you know, that a lot of people, and it can be rather lucrative for them to develop uh, funds is through child sponsorship, right? It's very popular in, in our line of work and, just kind of wanted to pick your thoughts. You know, it, it can be a lucrative fundraising model. It's a way for donors to also feel connected um, to children uh, that might be in a place like East Africa. Um, but you guys, you know, you guys have some different models around raising funds. Can you can you even just kind of share with us a little bit uh, of your guys' journey in terms of yeah raising funds and 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 whether or not you do child sponsorship and and why or why not? No. Um... 
yeah, the, the funding piece is an interesting one. Um, you know, the, the, for, for me, the reason that our family is based in the States is because we got to the point where if we were going to grow, I needed to be somewhere where I, we could raise the money and you can't really raise a whole lot of money, you know, from a village in Africa, then drive flying to the States every 18 months and just doesn't, doesn't work well. So, um, we moved back to the States and that was the main reason. And it has been, uh, it's been great because what it did is it really started to develop relationships with the people that we have on our financial team. And that's been really, really key. Um, we, for, uh, better or worse, we've kind of abandoned the pursue grants, um, that kind of just large events, galas, we just said, you know what, if we're going to look clearly at ROI, the best return on our investment is me sitting across the table from somebody building a relationship and asking them to be a part of what we're doing. And that has been a game changer for us. Now we used to do child sponsorships and we started to see some issues with that. Um, we started to see kind of a lack of kind of entrepreneurial spirit, kind of like this, like get out there and make it happen because I had a sponsor. And uh, just so you know that when you turn 18 at this point, that sponsor won't be there, but that, Oh, that's, that's 10 years from now, or that's four years from now. And I'll, I'll be able to convince that, you know, that whole thing. And it just completely kind of wiped out this, I'm going to go, go make something of myself. And then we also started to see that it was kind of degrading the authority that we had with our the kids we were working with, the teachers and house moms at the time. We're like, oh, I got a sponsor. I'm not going to listen to you. They just kind of put all this eggs in this basket and had this idea that this sponsor is going to take care of everything for me from here on out. And so that's when we we're like, this, this is not working. Um, came from a pure place great idea to build a relationship with a donor and a child, but the unintended consequence was kind of rearing over here that people didn't see. And then we started to realize that it's not really a relationship. Like we're pitching it as that, but it's not, um, you know, what kind of relationship has three or four touch points a year and it's just a, a note or a photo or a picture that's sent that you tack on your fridge. That's not a relationship. And it's very one-sided. What kind of relationship is that? You know, I send you money, takes care of you. You send me a letter every quarter. Like that's, it isn't relationship. So why are we calling it this if it's not really what we're doing? Yeah. And that's not good. It's not good for anybody. Um, and then it gets down to, you know, you think like, what is the motivation of the donor really? Like, do they want to be a part of this kingdom building work or do they want to have a relationship with the kid on the other side of the world? And it just makes them feel good that they're putting the picture on the fridge. Now, obviously these are generalizations and not everybody who's, you know, who has a picture of a kid on a fridge has a, you know, impure heart. And, you know, I'm sure. not saying that, but I'm just saying that these are some of the kind of conversations we're having. And as we're talking to other organizations, finding some of the same exact things mm -hmm. and then talking to some of our donors and realizing that oh what you think this is it isn't that it just it just didn't feel full of integrity yeah no that's well said and and you know for me you know i live in the pacific northwest so we have some of those really large organizations right around the corner like um like world vision and you know it, it can be a very effective model and and uh for fundraising right um and i think it um you know, as I talk with different organizations, which I'm connected to quite a few, there's some that do child sponsorship, some that don't. Um, but, but I think, you know, what I, if for those that are listening to this podcast, um, and if you're running a child sponsorship model, you know, these types of questions that Brent and his team are asking are the types of questions that we should be asking, right? Of, of our programming, of our revenue model, of, of everything, right? Because the ethics matter, right? And what I hear you saying, you know, is really kind of questioning, you know, what is this? What is this relationship? Is it, is it genuine? Is it primarily financial? 
like we don't we don't have sponsorship models you know for kids in foster care right um what we look at is is uh what types of community services are available right so whether that's the nonprofit or whether that's the government or what have you so you know why do we kind of export this you know kind of obscure you know it doesn't seem obscure because we're so used to it now but it's kind of a if you kind of really kind of break it down it is kind of a different weird kind of relationship you know and there's a broader conversation um and when you kind of look at um uh like nonprofit and international policy um when it comes to children uh we have largely operated um traditionally from this kind of like child saving role and about 30 years ago especially with the UN convention on the rights of the child that started to shift towards more like a rights-based approach and sometimes we kind of straddle the two right where we say um, our revenue model is kind of going to be based around child saving right and that's kind of the it, child sponsorship kind of has that has that feel you know um, you know why is that kid on the wall well you know because I'm because this is who I am to them you know kind of thing and but it creates that that kind of uh, can can seem disingenuous um, I, and only because this is a podcast and people are uh, always like to push envelopes on podcasts. I'll just kind of ask you, Brent, you know, would you say that um, this might be stronger? Would you say that um, child sponsorships is, is kind of a form of commodifying a child? I would. Yeah, I would. I mean, you're, you're walking up to a table and you're looking at kids and which one's the cute one that you like and you pick them out and you get your, they take your bank account and $25 a month comes out and you now bought a little relationship with a kid in Africa. And that just, yeah, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. So let me, let me just uh, jump in because one of the things we, when, when we were overseeing La Providencia in Honduras, we're toying with the idea and we, we actually implemented it for a little bit. Now we hand it off to another organization. And I think they're, they're also working through this to see if it will work. The, the idea of family sponsorship. And I likened that to my family sponsored by a lot of people in Northern California with support. I mean, they're supporting us. We wouldn't, as our ministries, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without people supporting our family, pastors every week through tithes and offerings. They're being supported by people, right? So ministry has a, and you know, Paul, when he was a tent maker and he, he thanked the people for supporting him, you know, Jesus said, do not, you know, you're, you're not going to make, but you're going to go out and you're going to not have a, you know, so there, there is this sense of that, but again, there's relationships there what if people actually have a relationship with the family they visited at some point, they have a relationship, you know, and I had friends who lived, I mean, Keith McFarland, who was the co-author on the book, you know, and we supported him in Uganda and his family. So what, what, is that a, a way to, you know, have a both and approach to it? Is that something that you would still say is on that kind of commodifying side? Is it different? Why, what would, you know, what, what do you think about that? I think it's different for the person who's receiving the money, um, you know, because you, you're typically your kid in these developing countries. All they know is, oh, you have a sponsor. They're paying for your school. Mm -hmm. They send you a little gift every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't there isn't anything developed there. Right. And I'm not sure. And I, I don't want to sell them short, but I think it's a really hard jump for them to to jump that gap and like, okay, they're, they're not just a financial thing for me. Like mm -hmm. I can actually have a relationship with them and I can share the things that you share in a relationship. I'm just not sure that, that happens as a kid for one. And especially a kid who's impoverished and in a really difficult place. I think it just, it just brings too much confusion. And I think if we don't have to bring that confusion, because it, because like, you know, I'm similar to you and there's people who support us and what we do. And it's hard for me, you know, I, like I even feel like if I, if somebody comes over, who's a donor a giver, who's a financial partner of ours and, you know, my TV went out and I bought a new TV. I, I feel the, <laughs> oh, I got this on sale at Best Buy. Right. For you know, like, you know, you're like, you're all, already, I have this weird kind of like, uh, yeah. 
you know, or and, vacations. And I, well, we had to use freaking yeah. fire miles or yeah. Right. right. Yeah. No, right. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, 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 and I'm a mature adult um, most of the time. And who's, who's been in ministry many, many, many years and still kind of struggle with that. Mm-hmm. You throw that in the lap of a seven-year-old. That's just yeah. really, really hard. Or families who aren't necessarily there either. Cause right. I mean, like, we we get it. We've been. It's part of our culture to have the raising support idea. I think Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and you know and just the deputized fundraising that we do is just part of our DNA as the ministries in the U.S. But that's not necessarily the case. And families, the idea of family sponsorship is is brand new, really, to the space. So I I imagine. I mean, there's going back to education to help the people know like this isn't just. You know, this isn't a handout idea where you just do nothing. And this is hopefully helping you to flourish, you know, same way, you know, some of these cash transfer ideas are going on in different places, which I have, you know, we could have a whole 10 week course on the, the, you know, everything has its shadow. Right. And so I think that we, we, I think it can be good, but it could also be detrimental on the family sponsorship too. And, and so we, like you said, Brandon, we need to ask the questions to not just go, yeah, we've done it. So we keep doing it because we've done it. And because Christianity Today did a really good article about the outcomes, there are really good outcomes, but there's also beggar mentality outcomes that we need to talk about in the same conversation. And, you know, how do we do that? And is there a way to do it without having that? Sure. But you're going to have unintended consequences and you're going to have collateral damage for lack of a better term. And so, yeah. So anyway, uh, well, um, I yeah. think, I think if we want to, you know, going back to what we talk about on this podcast, if we want to love orphaned and vulnerable children, as well as the families that they come from with excellence, we have to test and prove everything that we do. We have to test and prove our revenue models. We have to test and prove our service models. We have to test and prove how we operate as multinational teams, such as, such as what Cherish does, right? They have Americans, they have Ugandans. We have to test and prove basically everything, and we have to be committed to improvement, right? And I think what you guys present to us, uh, Brent, is that you guys have, um, you know, tested out a residential model and said, you know what, I think we could do something better, right? Um, and then you've actually proved that out. And, and even with the revenue piece, and, and, you know, for those that are, you know, I, I used to manage child sponsorships at an orphanage, right? <laughs> So I was the one that was taking pictures. So, you know, of the kid and like sending the information and I left donors with the orphanage that I worked at 10 years ago, you know, because that's just kind of how the thing works. So my hands are as dirty as anybody. Right. So so for for those that are listening, that are hearing us kind of have a real honest and kind of getting into the ethics and questioning, just know, you know, from from our hearts, look, this was us. Right. Um, but, but, but because of testing and proving, we're learning new things. And, and I kind of want to turn the page towards that as well. You know, Brent, you're such a, a valued member of the community of practice that I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of as well. Um, one of the things that you've been talking about recently is, is, you know, really effective fundraising techniques and, 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 uh, somebody that you guys were working alongside to kind of um, develop new revenue that that wasn't you know built on the backs of the children and families that you're serving, right? Um, it was it was built off of the mission that you guys have committed yourselves to. So, would you be um, would you be so kind as to even share what some of those effective fundraising techniques that you and your team have been able to employ um, that has led to successful fundraising for Cherish? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. We definitely had some different iterations of child sponsorships. You know, we didn't just like one day go, this is terrible. Let's cut it off. You know, when you start those things, your heart is pure and right. You're just trying to do the right thing. And then you kind of, you realize what you realize. And so we moved to this thing we called the Matthew 6-3 exchange or the 6-3 exchange, which came from Matthew 6-3. You know, when Jesus says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And then something, the, the donor knew they were sponsoring a kid, but the kid didn't but that still was still not quite right. And so eventually we just got to the point where we just said, you know what, we're building what we feel like we are faithfully building the kingdom of God as he's leading us to build it. A big part of our role is to ask people to be a part of that. And so our, our main focus is, is that it's my job is to present, here's what we're doing. 
And I really look at it as I'm op- I'm giving people an opportunity to, to be a part of this. They're probably not going to hop on a plane and go do this work. But if they want to be a part of it, here's how they are part of it. And I have those conversations. And if people say yes, then it's awesome. And if they say no, really, I walk away going, you're missing out. And um, rather than it's my job to convince all these people to give money. And so, like I said, we've kind of got, we've kind of gone away from grants and galas and, and I'm not saying those are effective for many people. They're great, but for us, we weren't getting a lot from those. And so we now just focus on individuals and we've learned that kind of segmenting your donors is a really important piece. So we we've kind of broken up our donor base into um, our top 30. Like these are the people who just purely on dollar amount, they give them, they give the top, they're the top 30 donors. And then kind of have your mid-level donors. And um, those are like, for us, it's like 5,000 to, you know, 800 on an annual basis. So then you have um, your other donors that give less than that. Now, by no means are those people giving less kingdom dollars, you know, that it's for sure. But we also know that there's a certain amount of money that has to be raised to pay salaries and put gas in the car and buy medications and whatnot. So, um, so then we have different communication plans for each of those different segments. Um, this group, these are the things we talk about in this group. These are the things we talk about. And for me, I focus on those top 30 and those are a couple of churches that are in there, some individuals, some businesses, and um, I'm real forthright with just so you know, you are in our top 30. I have a chart. I should have printed one up. It's got a chart of all these boxes and the dollar amount of these top 30 and then the figures for all of the other groups. And so I meet with them. Uh, I slide that across the table and let them know, hey, this is where you're at. And so we've just reworked our chart and kind of looked at each of the top 30. And we've looked and said, all right, last year, the Stiver family gave this. Based on what we know about them, should we ask them for more? Like, it's just a real, like, we just say, God, give us wisdom and help us to know. And then we go through each of those boxes and we decide. Just ask me, Brent. You got the money, dude. I, I'm a I'm a proud supporter myself. <laughs> Just ask me. <laughs> and um, and then so, so I'm going to meet with those people now first in this first quarter, and say, hey, just so you know, this is this is how things look for this year. Here's our bottom line goal that we're trying to raise, and this is your box. This is for the Stiver family, and this is what we're hoping that you want to give. And they're either going to say I'm in. Or they're going to say, nah, I can't quite give that much, but we can do this much. And then that those top 30 are hearing from me at least once a quarter. And I just keep building relationships. And I keep feeding them information. And the beauty of those top 30 is I know who likes what. I know the ones that care about medical. I know the ones that care about education. I know the ones that care about family strengthening. I also know the ones that like a phone call. I know the ones that would prefer a text. I know the and so this relationship starts to build and you start to build this team and those people start to realize, Oh, I'm an important part of what's happening here. And for us, about 50% of our budget comes from that top 30. And another thing that's been really helpful is every time I, so I'm, I meet, I kind of have a formal meeting at the end of the year and a formal meeting at the beginning of the year. And so at the end of the year, when I met with everybody, I also slide across the table, a piece of paper. So this chart is not digital. This, I don't, it's not a slideshow. It's a hard piece of paper. And then I also slide across the table. Here's your giving history. Since the beginning of time, this is how much you've given and on what year. And it's nothing, there's no logo on it. It's not pretty. It's just the facts. And people are always amazed at how much they have given. And it's just a great opportunity to encourage them and say, this is what you have done. This is the kingdom work you have done. And we wouldn't be there without you. And when you get this, no matter where, what size of organization you have, you've got these people out of your top 30. Those people start to, start to understand the importance of what they do. Now, at the same time, we have career communication is going to the people. You know, we have people who've been given $25 a month for, you know, 12 years. And 
it's amazing. Those people also are getting contacted and there's relationships built and they're getting information that's constantly fed to them because we know that if we don't keep everybody connected relationally to what we're doing and updates, then eventually they're going to stop being a part of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Now. Yeah, no, that, that folks like that, that right there is a roadmap that works because it's relationship driven. It's like you said, allowing people the opportunity, giving people the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than themselves, which people are yearning for. And you know what, if it's not their passion, if it's not something they want to be a part of, you know, you can't make anyone do anything. So, and you don't want to, you don't want people who are doing it out of guilt that they, that they're, oh, well, Brent's going to be mad at me or, you know, they, they, that you, you don't want that. And, and I just, I tell people straight up that like, like, look, if you're doing this because you think it's going to impact our friendship either way, like that's, that's absolutely the wrong thing. If you're led to do this by the spirit and you're led to do this because you think it's great work, then let's go and let's do this together, you know? And, and like you said, to stay in touch with them. And that looks different for different people. I love how you said that. Like when you get into relationship with people, like with my wife, if you send an email, you might as well send it to a black hole. It's not going to be read. Um, I mean, it might. If you leave a voicemail, she has like 20,000 voicemails on her phone. I don't know how her phone has any room. But like she, she is a text. For, if you text her, she will, she will see it and she'll get back. And so to know that is, 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 is important. And it also shows them that you know them, right? So I love that folks. So it's so like, if you're out there going, I hate fundraising, I like, it's just friendships, right? It's, it's developing relationships on a human level with people, understanding who they are and them understanding who you are and what God's, I had a great conversation with it, with uh, one of my donors. Uh, he's a friend. I mean, I say donors because he is a donor, but just a friend and we were talking and he was saying look share with what people what's on your heart phil like and if you tell this is what god's putting on my heart that resonates with people and you're the leader of the organization so what's on your heart is what's going to be going and if they're not captured by it then they're not captured by it but if they are they're going to be a part of it but that is something folks it's it's not rocket science we complicate it so much we have so many different things and strategies and i'm not saying strategy isn't good but i think we overcomplicate it so much and unless you're just one of the massive marketing organizations that you know spend 90 million dollars on marketing and they're putting it out there and you're dependent on those things most organizations are like yours and mine where it's dependent on people that buy in to this vision and that's only going to be communicated with a conversation and so Keep at it, brother, and, and folks out there as you're listening, like t take good notes, go back and listen to that again and implement a strategy like that where you are actually having conversations with people that are specific to them and that, that resonates and people know the difference, right? They know the difference between a personal email, a personal text, and one that is just a, a blast. And blasts are important too to just get information out. But when you're building relationship, it's about, that's a whole lot more than transactional information. So, all right, brother. Hey, a um, couple more questions. As you know, you've heard, you've listened to the show at some point. Um, you know, these last couple questions we ask everyone. So hopefully you're ready for them. Uh, what have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Separate from quite just nailing down on you know, mm -hmm. vulnerable children, um, along the lines of fundraising, there's a great little book called the spirituality of fundraising by Henry Nowen. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a quick read. And for anybody who's out there raising money, like just read it. It just helps yeah. you kind of get a different view of what it is you're actually doing really helpful. And then I have found so much good stuff, um, with Patrick Lencioni. Mm -hmm. Now that guy, you know, he's building your business, very leadership yep. business driven, but there's so many great things. And I'm not saying we need to run our ministries like a business, but there's certain aspects of it that we should. Absolutely. And he has got some amazing stuff out there and, and him being a believer himself. I think he understands some of the uh, church and ministry dynamics as well, but he's got a great podcast at the table, just like 
20 minutes and mm-hmm. it's great. I really- a lot shorter than ours. Um, but, uh, you can listen to this and then it will seem like it's only three and a half minutes because it's only 20, <laughs> but no, it, it is a good podcast though. I've listened to it, it as is. well. It is good. Podcast. And that's from the table group. He's part of the table group, which is why it's at the table. Um, they are fantastic. It's fantastic. Anything from now on, uh, read it. Like he tends to write short books too. I like that. You know, like, like it's good. Um, and then Lencioni as well. We actually went through the advantage, the book, the advantage, fantastic book that kind of, that's kind of the, he condenses all of his fable books into all the, the points and the, and the, the lessons from those books into the advantage, which is a great book on organizational health and folks out there. If you're, I went through that with our team, uh, La Providencia, and it was so valuable. And I actually use that in the coaching program that I am, am doing for people to be able to have healthy teams. So Lencioni's fantastic. Now it's fantastic. Go get those books and, and, and read them. All right. Uh, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? it's one and i actually don't think it's it's the famous people it's it's actually the peers the other people that are just doing it like that's where i get the most value mm-hmm. is just talking to the others that are in the trenches along with you um that are in that are in different organizations and i know there can tend to be some competing and that kind of stuff that just gets in the way of you learning some really good stuff if there's you know there's like kfo and these big organizations which are great you're going to learn a ton um, but if you can just find a group of people that are doing what you're doing and KFO is a great place to do that. Like, and you know, you gotta be bold and go, Hey, I need some time with you or you or you and, mm-hmm. and just invest in those relationships. Cause that's where I've learned the most, um, much more than any books I've written, written or any, um, yeah, things I've heard from the guys from the stage. It's the yeah. people in the trenches that are where I've learned the most. Absolutely. Well, Brent, I've learned from you. That's for sure. Um, I love doing all this stuff with you. I love being able to write a book with you. And, uh, and I, I'm just so, I'm just super encouraged, inspired by all that uh, God's doing in and through you, brother. So keep at it. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks again, Brent. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I I just uh, love that guy. I absolutely loved him when I uh, was putting the book together with him. Just super encouraged by him. Super, um, just blown away by by just the humility and the learning posture he has. And he's always had. He even in putting that book together, it was very much hey, you know that those were the two requirements we had for that book was experiential expertise, which he clearly has and a posture of humility, which he clearly has. And that came out in that and just hearing the fundraising and hearing all the other things that they're doing and the transition. I mean, that's, that's hard to do when you have a successful ministry by the world standards, that's raising funds and doing things and getting results and to say, this might not be the best way. And, and so that's, you know, that's a lot of why we're doing what we're doing here, but you know, we pretty much had the commentary during the interview. It's already gone a bit long. So I uh, just want to come to you, Brandon, and get any, you know, quick thoughts you have that just to kind of sum it up. And then you have a little recommendation for us before we close it out. Yeah. Well, I would just say, you know, Brent, Brent and Cherish Uganda, they're the real deal. Um, I think that they're a great mentor example for a lot of these, mm-hmm. you know, small to medium sized nonprofits that are either running, you know, residential care of, you know, ideating and figuring out what you could do next. So I would just encourage people to, um, you know, reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to Brent. Um, he's, he's, he's readily available. And he even mentioned, you know, his, his enjoyment of just connecting with people that are there in the trenches. So um, reach out to us if this sparked anything on the child sponsorship front, on the fundraising front, on the transitioning to family care front, um, because there was a lot in there and there's a lot to be learned from Brent and his team. And Um, You know, I will just share uh, one recommendation that kind of brings together his two recommendations. He he mentioned uh, Patrick Lencioni, uh, who's a great leadership guy. I like I mentioned, I've enjoyed his podcast as well. Um, And he mentioned a a book by Henry Nowen, and I'm just going to bring those two together. Henry Nowen wrote a book about leadership, and it's called In the Name of Jesus, (laughs) and um, it is a fantastic book. Have you read that? Yeah, actually, it's funny you said that because I was going to recommend it, but but uh, I didn't want to. I beat you to the punch, man. 
Well, no, I mean, you said you had it. I, was, I wasn't even going to do a recommendation, but that was what I was thinking when he was talking about it. It's an incredible book. It's, incredible. It, 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 is a, it is an absolute must read. You can basically read it in one sitting. Mm-hmm. But if you guys don't know the story of Henry Nouwen, um, just his life of ministry, um, it, it, is, it, is, it is worth every penny and more um, that, you'll, that you'll spend on getting that very quick read. Um, but, uh, his, his, uh, writing is phenomenal. Um, and, and similar to what Brent said around the fundraising piece, which now I got to go pick up the one that, that Brent just recommended. Um, Henry Nowen does, does a, does a really good job of recalibrating, you know, our view of leadership, um, for the book in the name of Jesus. So, uh, I would just kind of tack that on, uh, with the recommendations that, that Brent gave, because it, it is, it is a phenomenal resource. So, there we go, man. We had the same recommendation and, and a great you know, interview with Brent. So, uh, so this was fun, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And actually the last time, and I'll probably do it again this time. So Rick Morton, I think last, I don't know if it was, it was one of the seasons that he did, he did the co-host and he recommended that as well. And I went back and read it again after that too. And so folks, you know, as, as I've said, if, if three people recommend a book to me, I, I go, I go read it, you know? And so, Definitely go read that if you haven't. And if you have, read it again, because it's definitely one that you can read quickly. And I actually read that one again, and I didn't just listen to it again. So that's uh, something you can do, and it's, it's, it's well, well worth it. I think it's like 100 pages. So it's like super, super short. With so, wide all right, margins. Books, yeah, exactly. Yeah, wide margins. Exactly. It's like one of those C.S. Lewis books where you're yeah. like, wow, there's like six words on this page. Yeah. Um, no pictures, though, I don't, I don't think. But uh, folks... Thanks again for being a part of this. Thanks for uh, just what you're doing. I mean, the fact that you're listening to this, you're learning, and uh, we do we do hope and pray that you are learning from this. Go go join the you know Think Orphan Facebook page info at thinkorphan.com if you want to uh, reach out to us. Please do if you have guests that you think would be good. If you have any thoughts, if you have questions, you know, reach out. Let's let's connect. Let's keep the conversation going. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, you know, most importantly, we. we Hope and pray that you're taking what you're learning from the show and you're using it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.